0: Our reading today is Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. You can find it in your Pew Bibles in the New Testament on page 198. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of the God, and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I, too, have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that come from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attend, attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature, be of the same mind, and if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in the shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is there. from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Since there was a pause there, I think we were, at least I was waiting to see what happens next. I had a bulletin, but I wasn't really sure if I was cued to come up here and talk, but I'm always ready to talk, and it's so good to be back with you. And um, I I was just uh, thinking this week as we were preparing for this service. I said, I wonder if there'll be people here that I know, and certainly there are many of you, so it's good to see you. And then, just an added bonus, I got to see Brentley. I know Brentley, and he knows me, and even though we know each other, we're still friends, so that ought to say something about us. <clears throat> well, I, uh, I've had a very interesting morning. I got up and worked on my sermon a little bit. And then uh, for Christmas, I got one of these little round things about like this. It's a Lexus. Have you ever had him? Alexa, it's a little thing you can ask questions and so on and so forth. And uh, so I thought, well, okay, you know, it would be really nice to, I've heard them talk about the president and, and other people and so forth. And I thought, you know what it'll do. I will ask it now. Uh, Who's going to preach at the First Baptist Church in Jackson? And I'll get my name broadcast right on that thing. And that would have been so exciting. And uh, so I said, I asked the question and waited in anticipation. And then, um, man, I can't even remember her name now, but I, that's probably because of my personality. But um, the speaker, on Alexis, said, um, well... She said, uh, I don't know, but I think it might be Madam Speaker of the House. What's her name? <laughs> See, I tried to honestly forget that. And I was crushed because I thought they were, she would say, and now the one that we are all looking forward to hearing was Reverend Kreiderman, and it wasn't there. So, anyway. Well, the wonderful thing about the Bible, and we read a whole portion of Scripture here this morning, and one of the things about it is that it often talks about beginnings. Have you noticed that? And uh, it it speaks of being in Christ. You are a new creature. He gives us a new song. The Psalms have many places where it says, I speak, I sing uh, praises with a new song. Uh, another place, I think, in Revelation, it says, uh, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you understand this? He promises a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, it's called, part of it is called the New Testament. It's called the New Covenant. And it says even more wonderfully, he'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. We're exhorted to walk in newness of life. So this new year just amplifies this thought. Beginning 2020 tells us that it's a time for new beginnings. Yesterday has come and gone, and it's over. Now, I'm one of these kind of guys that likes to sort of sit and think about the good old days. Anybody here like that? They were good old days. They are better than today's, don't you think? I think we agree, most of you. Some of you younger ones won't, but anyway. And... Uh, But uh, today, our lives are being experienced with a God of the now, the I am, the great I am. That's what he's spoken of. Not the I was or even the I will be. He is the current event in our lives as believers. And right now, he is intimately involved in this service. We are worshiping, worshiping him in the present tense. Now, after saying all of that, let me also say that the present is really only a time to prepare for the future. It's sort of a boot camp for the reality we're going to enjoy for all of eternity. I was thinking of that this morning as I started bumping into some of you and remembered you, and I thought to myself, you know, one of these days we won't have to be coming to a church here we 'll be up in heaven we'll be bouncing along with the Apostle Paul and, and Matthew and some of these other people and'll we'll say well there's this person that they went to the Baptist Church there in Jackson and what a fe- wonderful fellowship that will be uh, and it's interesting the world picks up on this aspect of truth of the truth of the matter of the f- uh, of the future when it when they say uh, have you made a New Year's resolution yet. And we do it too, don't we? Have any of you made New Year's resolutions? I see some shaking their heads wrongly. Well, I shouldn't say wrong, negatively. Uh, But we do say things like this. I'll tell you some of mine. I'm going to stay within my budget, budget. Actually, I should say, I'm going to make sure my wife stays within the budget. I'm going to get along with my relatives, my boss, Uh, I'm going to quit overeating or I'm going to quit procrastinating. Down the way way I'll do that. I'm going to exercise, get enough sleep, read 20 books this year, write letters to my friends more faithfully, and so on and so on. You see, how long do you think I'm going to be successful? I don't even want to see your hands on that. Uh, How many of you think that, or how many know that you've already broken one New Year's resolution already this year. I have. I won't tell you which one it was, but that's all right. Uh, You see, most resolutions are exercises in futility. We essentially, in a a moment of pseudo-confidence, decide to tackle the greatest areas of weakness in our lives. The odds are against us before we even begin. So I want to share with you from this that has been read already, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, that's chapter 3. It's a good one, and from it, suggests some realistic resolutions for the children of God. And I'm going to refer to the entire chapter, so keep your Bibles open, at least your minds open, and I will read about four verses here in chapter 3. Um, just so that we will have a perspective on where we're going with this. And uh, then I would like, in fact, let me read that right now just to introduce it again and let you have it in your mind. Verse 10 and 14. Do any of you people know that the Bible print is getting smaller and smaller every single year? (laughs) I don't know why that is. But anyway, he says here, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him and in his death, and so somehow to attain for, to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all these things or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold for me. I press on. We could say, I resolve. Uh, so I want us to take this word, resolve, and uh, sort of make it an acrostic here and uh, use the term I-R-E-S-O-L-V-E. So let's begin with R. I resolve to be more religious. Now I can hear some of you saying right now, but Paul was the one who taught us that it's salvation by grace not the, and through faith, but not of works. Even in this letter here, he didn't place confidence in religion. He only placed confidence in Jesus. And I'm quick to agree. But Paul never rejected his religiosity. He just put it in its proper perspective. Other religions substitute for religion or for a relationship. The Jews were guilty of making religion an end in itself. Paul tells us about his own religious pedigree when he reminds us early on in that chapter that was read of all the things that he had gone through, all the routines, all the hoops that he had to jump through to be a religious person. Before his conversion, that was his priority. But following, there was still the importance of religion. He exemplified being religious, he urged us not to neglect. Uh, daily prayer and Bible reading. He talked about the daily washing of the water from the Word. He taught us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, encouraging one another to, of all things, do good works bearing one other's burdens, and practicing community, and praying without ceasing, and singing, and making melody in your heart. All of these things he told us. His message is clearly, because you belong to Christ, religion is the natural response to that relationship. So our first resolution is to be religious, to worship regularly. To share in fellowship with the brothers and sisters, to fast and to pray and avail yourselves of all the means of grace. So I resolve to be more religious. It'll help my relationship with Jesus to grow. The next word, R, or the next letter in this acrostic is E. I resolve also to be more earnest. Verse 12 says, I press on to take a hold of what Jesus took a hold of for me. And again in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In Paul's letter to the Colossian church, he exhorts the believers that whatever you do, do it with all your heart. And the word of God tells us also that God is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Some of us have, have, uh, or some people have described the 21st century of America being content with mediocrity. And unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who likewise are content with just getting by, just sort of scooting into heaven someday. Some people call that cheap grace. Paul says, I press on. He He was an athlete. He describes it in other places of how he... Would, would uh, keep his body under subjection, and he was going to work hard. He says, "This is my chief purpose." If Jesus said, "Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow," then exactly what—that's what I must do. Paul says. We sing a song we used to have a long time ago. It said, "I have decided to follow Jesus. I won't turn back. I won't." Turn. Remember that? Some of you do. I can remember years ago when someone would be in a spiritual battle at the altar and they'd be praying and some of the people would be encouraging and somebody would start a song that went like this. I'm going through, I'm going through. I'll pay the price no matter what others do. I'll take the way with the Lord's anointed few. For I'm going through, Jesus. I'm going through. Well, I don't know about that there. It's sort of a... The few, anointed few sort of bothers me. But anyway, about once in a while, you hear of somebody who has bucked the curse of mediocrity and against great odds has ridden to a, risen to a place of prominence in his or her perfection, profession or have performed in a significant way, and that's great. But you know, God is looking up and down the aisles of churches for men and women who will hazard their lives for Jesus, who will dare to be a Daniel in the lion's den, who will be uncomfortable with the status quo and take on a holy tenacity, rising to new pinnacles of performance in the kingdom. And you and I, as the tired and the retired, need to see this as the greatest opportunity in all of our lifetime. My son, Mark, pastored three large significant churches in our conference. All of a sudden, one day, he came, Dad, I don't think I want a pastor in a church anymore. And I said, what? Come on. You know, you must sound like you're backsliding or something. And he said, no, I don't want to. He says, I want to move to Detroit. Detroit, I said. They shoot people in Detroit. But he said, no, Dad, I want to, I want to move there, take my wife, and we'll go there and buy a house if we can. And. And uh, he said, by the way, Dad, do you remember that the Free Methodist Church started to preach? That One of their goals was to preach the gospel to the poor. Boy, that hurt. I was the superintendent at the time, and yet I had to say, "Mark, you're right." And so, what has he done? He's moved in, bought a house down there. He rides his bicycle through the scariest parts of Detroit. I just pray all the time. His mom prays more than I do, I think. But anyway, and uh, he just he just uh, he starts he starts a little what they call dinner church. And uh, they invite people to a high-rise apartment somewhere. A few of the churches in the Detroit area provide the food. They feed them, then say, now if you want to stay a little while, we're going to talk about Jesus in a few minutes. But if you don't want to, you can go home. And they do. Some of them go home and some of them stay. And out of this, a nucleus of born-again, brand-new believers of color. Most of them are black. But not all of them. But anyway, these. but they all are poor. And these people have ch- are beginning to change their lives and their communities. So I think, you know, even though I think he is a little dumb, I think he, uh, he's got something there that I wish I had. I resolve then to be earnest about my faith and my service to Christ. Well, let's go on quickly here. Some of you have probably already started to count. R-E-S-O-L-V-E-O-I. That means this, this is an eight-point sermon. So in case you have your lunch out there, you can run and get it and you can just eat while you... No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, the next one. S, I resolve to have a singular purpose. This goes right along with the previous one. This one thing I do. King David long ago said these words, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So what is that compelling reason for your existence on earth? Get married? Raise well-behaved kids? Get a good job? What is it you want to do most of all in your retirement years? Travel? Travel? Manage your investments so that you won't be a burden to anybody. Stay healthy. Do something you've never done before. You know, I wanna, I wanna organize my photos and my tapes so that our kids can enjoy them someday. And that's all well and good, but remember, we are creatures of two worlds. Our time on earth is just a blip on the radar screen of eternity. When we leave this earth, of the people won't even know it. In a month after you die, all of your possessions will uh, have been distributed. Your pictures will be packed away. Your clothes will have been given to the Salvation Army or Goodwill, and life will go on. We think that what we do here is so important. Someone illustrated it uh, to me by telling me to put my hand in in a pail of water and then splash it around, just as much as you want. And I did, I created a mess all over the floor, made waves, and then I was told to take my hand out of the water, and in a few seconds, the water was calm again. You wouldn't even have known anybody had been in it. I hadn't changed a thing. You see, that's how insignificant life can be. Sort of depressing, isn't it? So the old couplet says, only one day, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. So, what is that one thing that you need to do? Quantity doesn't count here, quality does. Let's resolve to have a single purpose for life. The old Westminster Catechism said, What is the purpose of mankind? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now comes O, resolve. Couldn't find an O, oh, so I had to use it in the middle of the word. I resolved to move onward, to be growing. Verse 13 tells us, forget what is behind. I strain toward what is ahead. You know, some of us are living with the paralysis of past favors, uh, of failures. Forget them. Some live with the cancer of past hurts, and they are literally eating you up. Release them. Jesus promises us new things, makes us new creatures. He forgives and he forgets the past. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery? That was a very serious sin as it is today. But Jesus said, go and sin no more. Forget the past. I don't condemn you, so don't condemn yourself. Go start over. And some of us in our age are still beating ourselves up because of dumb things or wrong things that we did earlier when we need just to repent and ask forgiveness and leave it alone. So too often we review the future with the rearview mirror of our car. The most dangerous way to live, isn't it? To sit there looking at that rearview mirror. Oh, here comes something. We're not supposed to do that. Forget the past. And additionally, when something new is suggested, we sometimes say, well, it'll never work if you're on a board or something like this, and they give you an idea. And... uh, you say, Well, why won't it work? Well, because it didn't work the last time we tried it. Man, you know, if we really believed that, then we'd all still be clear, creeping around on the floor because the first time we tried to walk, we fell down. So if you use that concept, you know, can you imagine that everybody coming to church next Sunday just on their knees and hand and knees, just crawling down the aisles? And you say, Why? Well, because I'm not going to try that standing up stuff. I fell down when I was two years old. It's simply not. Christ's way to live in the midst of failure. So let's resolve to go onward toward a strain, to strain toward the goal ahead. So another one is, I resolve to be one who is learning, a true disciple. I want to know Christ. Well, what does it mean to know Christ? Well, the apostle speaks to the church at Ephesus and he says, and I pray you that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that uh, surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. You see, it's more than just a historical knowledge. It's an experiential kind of uh, knowing. It's knowing what he talked about. He's the word that dwelt among us. If that's true, then his words are immensely important. But it's also knowing how he walked. What was his nature? How did Jesus act? How did he react? In chapter 2 of this book, to, to the letter to Philippians, says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The apostle re- uh, resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ. That is, it all must be related to Jesus and his plan for you. And that includes knowing his provisions. In physical needs, when I am fatigued and sick and weak, he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In emotional needs, when I'm discouraged and frustrated and perplexed and afraid, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. In my spiritual needs, when I'm sin sick and tempted by torn and torn by guilt, He says, There is no temptation that is common to man, but God who is faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted above what we're able to stand, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. Even in my finances, when I'm broke or laid off or have a big hospital bill or my tax shelter is tanked, doesn't the word have something to say to me there? says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glory, riches in Christ. How's that for starters? And that's only the beginning. The answers to all these needs are in Jesus, the living word. Determined even at this day in your life to get better acquainted with him and life will take on new meaning. The next letter is V. I resolve to maintain spiritual victory. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I'm not talking about an emotional high or a giddy, superficial kind of a praise the Lord anyway kind of thing because I know there will be things that try my faith and drive me to my knees. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, nobody, not even me or even the devil is going to rob me of spiritual victory in 2020. That is my intent. I love the, call, the verse in the song, A Mighty Fortress, where it says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear because God has willed his triumph to his truth to triumph through us. The Prince of Darkness, Grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall follow him, the writer says on. And that word became flesh and pitched its tent alongside us. I want to know and experience daily. The power of his resurrection, the power that forgives me on the spot. I don't have to wait till Sunday to come forward and repent of my sins in a church service. I can do it wherever I am. I don't have to even let anything, in fact, come between me and Jesus. The resurrection power cleanses us and keeps us cleansed. It's sort of an automatic washing machine that we jump into when we give our lives to Christ. And that resurrection power delivers. It delivered Jesus right out of the mouth of hell and it will deliver us today, right now, from the hell we might be living in. Maybe it's a habit or a weakness or a character defect that doesn't glorify God. Jesus will deliver us. He wants us to make it to heaven. And also, really, a resurrection power will give us abundant life in the Spirit so that even mundane experiences of life are controlled by him. You know, I, I have my financial resources divided up into accounts. Some of you probably have done the same thing. There's not a whole lot there, but what I have is organized. You better believe it. If I don't believe it, my wife does. In the ledger, there's a place for tithe, savings, medical expenses, taxes, auto, house, and so on. Then I added one grand, grandkids' college And so every year at at, Christmas time, I give the kids who are in college, and actually there, I give them a fairly substantial check. And they all love it, and they think it's great, you know. But the little girl, a few years ago, she, uh, I think she's about eight years old at the time, They said to one of her sisters, how come Grandpa gives you guys all checks like this, but you don't give us checks? Well, they finally explained to her what it was all about. And she stood around for a minute or two, and she says, you know, problem is by the time I get up there in college grandpa will be dead and that sort of shook me up uh, and that's when I learned about uh, 529 some of you will know it. they are but anyway we don't have to worry about the future in financial ways because we just go to in our house we just go to this account where we've already been put money down and we pay the bill Well, let me tell you this. My Father in Heaven has set up accounts like that for me. And in my crisis, I just go to the heavenly bank and I check the resources and I discover to my joy, I have been given fullness in Christ. That's what Paul said. This is a birthright of every believer. Cash in on it. The resurrection power is the birthright of every believer. My eldest grandson at the age of three, you notice I'm a grandpa. I'd love talking stories about the eldest people. But anyway, when he was about three years old, he was looking forward to excitement of the prospect of swimming in the Osaba River with his dad. They were talking about it all the way up north and until they got right down to the water's edge and And Micah stuck his feet and felt the power of the current there. And his eyes grew wide and it was evident that he wasn't sure he wanted to do this. But his dad said, well, come on, Micah, hop in with me. And he took his hand and walked in the water. And deeper they went and he was sort of excited. Micah held on tight with his hand. When dad was waist deep, Micah was over his head. And so he tried to wrap his legs around Mark. Finally, dad laid back in the water and said, relax, Micah, and together they floated to their destination. Micah's fear was calmed through the presence of his father. Folks, that's resurrection power, power that lifts us above our cares and our fears of failure, power that lets us soar into the heavenlies, and when we're here on earth, we can still look Above and see that. We just need to trust the Father and rest in the currents of the Holy Spirit. And when the waters of life are so deep that they're about to drown you, just hang on and go with the flow. And you will, to your surprise, discover that with His help, you can do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine, according to the power that now is at work in you because He is in you. So, finally, E. You've all been waiting for E, haven't you? I resolve to, with eagerness, await the coming of Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, while I enjoy life and I want to spend as many years on earth as possible, I want to be so much at home with Jesus that my eagerness to see Jesus someday will be obvious to everyone I come in contact with. And at the same time, I want to be on the job, doing what every Christian is called to do. So, In conclusion, the one letter we haven't used is the word I, the beginning, which stands for the ideal. And the presence of Jesus can make the ideal real. Paul said in verse 17, live up to the pattern that we gave you. And that's where we start this new year, right where we are. Step by step, we grow in grace. Let's just do it. And as we begin 2020, Paul, the Apostle, encourages us like this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, he says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure, and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Isn't that good? I don't mean the sermon. I mean God's truth. Thank you. Amen.